0: Hello and welcome. I'm Aki Korsani Hussein, and this is the Expert Review Podcast. In the next two podcasts, we'll be covering the often complex relationship between India and offshore jurisdictions, primarily focusing on the Cayman Islands, Cyprus, and the British Virgin Islands. In the first of our two podcasts, we examine the key tax and regulatory structuring considerations that any stakeholder or investor into India should be aware of. In this regard, I'm delighted to introduce our two speakers, tax expert Ravi Raghavan and our very own Kartik Sharma. Good morning, Ravi and Kartik. Morning, Aki. Good morning, Aki. Ravi Raghavan is a partner in the tax and private client group of Najmadar and Partners based in Mumbai in India. Ravi has more than 25 years of experience in corporate and tax advisory work with a focus on international taxation, tax litigation services. Ravi's practice covers the full array of Indian taxes, withholding taxes, capital gains, permanent establishment rules, employee taxation, holiday schemes and more. Kaptik Sharma is based alongside me in Harneys in London. Kaptik's focus is on high-value cross-border commercial banking and financial services disputes in the BVI and Cayman Islands. With a particular interest in private equity and investment funds. Kartik is an admitted barrister in England and the BVI, as well as being a qualified advocate in India. Very much delighted, Kartik and Ravi, to have you on, on this program. And I, I very much look forward to listening into your discussion. Over to you both, gentlemen. Thank you, Aki, for those
1: very kind words. And thank you, Ravi, for joining us here today. As like you just mentioned, Ravi, we're quite keen on understanding this complex relationship between India and these offshore financial centers and I think we can start off this discussion with sort of finding out more about the recent developments in India and how they impact foreign investments in India because this has all been in the news and I think it's best to hear it from the experts so in your opinion Ravi what do you think is is the impact of the recent developments in India on foreign investments and what are these recent developments that we hear about now in the news?
2: As I see it over the last few years, the Indian government has announced various changes to the India's foreign investment policy. Briefly, I would call them as FDI policy. So currently, 100% FDI is permitted in most sectors. But a few sectors still remain closed. And in some of the sectors, the Indian government has limited the foreign investment ceiling, as for example, in insurance companies and private banks. So as I'm seeing it in the last few months, manufacturing remains a core focus in India. And it's expected to drive collaboration with other countries as well, given India's cost advantage. And uh, sectors such as technology, healthcare, pharma, fintech, Biotech, especially, show growth potential. And press reports suggest that FDI flows into India increased from 82 billion dollars in 21 to about 83.6 billion in 22. So India has always been a preferred jurisdiction, and the government is also keen to simplify, you know, the ease of doing business in India. For example, starting a business, how do you deal with permits, property registration, speedier dispute resolutions improvement in trading, insolvency, etc. The one key development which I have seen is about an year and a half ago that when the Indian government announced fresh approval requirements scrutinizing investments in Indian companies from entities in any country for that matter, which share a land border with India. So what that means is any FDI that comes into India Directly or indirectly from an entity, let's say China, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, Myanmar and Afghanistan, they will require a prior approval of the Indian government. So potential investors should note that even when you do an indirect investment, by entities that have beneficial ownership that is traceable to the border-sharing country, that will have to be examined. The problem is that the Indian government has not provided a de-minimist threshold, and uh, one is still grappling with what beneficial ownership or indirect investment by an entity, etc. it means. And they have also not provided guidance on how listed investors should assess and address the requirements of this rule. So keeping all of this in mind, entities from border-sharing countries seeking to invest in India must be, you know, very clear about uh, their shareholders and ultimate beneficial ownership to avoid any delays in the approval process per se. Right. I think that's as far as the FDI goes. One question that comes into my mind, Karthik, is I've heard about new regimes have come up such as the FATCA or the CRS or the Economic Substance. So how easy is that to incorporate a company in the BVI or Cayman and Islands these days?
1: That, that's a very good question, Ravi. I mean, we've had a lot of queries on the same lines in the last few months, but I think it's important to sort of set out what these actually mean. So the BVI or Cayman, for instance, both these jurisdictions have fully implemented the requirements of FATCA, CRS and economic sanctions as well. They are early adopters as some would say, and they have world-run regimes governing economic substances as well. Although in some areas you have to watch out, but we haven't seen a slowdown in incorporating a company in the BVI or in Cayman. And I think the main reason for that is the overall appeal for incorporating a company in the BVI or Cayman, or BVI trusts and partnerships as well. And I think some of the main reasons why people prefer BVI, let's say over uh, as an offshore financial center over others is mainly because of various ease in doing business. And now this could be four or five bullet points, particularly number one, taxation, while business is driven by tax concerns. The BVI has no income tax, corporation tax, capital gains tax, wealth tax, or similar fiscal laws. So using a BVI company as an intermediary holding company can create tax neutral layers in the corporate holding structure. It's, as you said, how easy it is. Well, it's speedy and it usually takes two business days or even sometimes less than that it can be done on an urgent basis and it usually requires satisfying relevant KYC requirements and by finding a registered agent and so on and doing all the other compliance. And I think HANI is also able to assist in that regard as well. The other thing that's worth mentioning is in terms of costs, so a vanilla BVI company can normally be incorporated for U.S. 1750, and 50, including inclusive more disbursements and so on. And I think that's a good ballpark figure sort of have in mind. In terms of other aspects of confidentiality, now that's where the BVI truly shines. So neither the register of directors nor the share register of a company is required to be publicly filed in the BBI. Although safeguards exist to prevent views of corporate confidentiality in relation to money laundering and national crime, law-abiding companies can exist with a confidence of privacy in the BBI. In terms of corporate flexibility, It's worth mentioning that company law in the BVI is designed to provide the maximum flexibility consistent with common law legal systems and companies are permitted to undertake any lawful activity as there are no strictures relating to corporate benefit. As I said earlier as well, the economic substance regime requires entities undertaking relevant activity which are not tax resident outside the BVI in a suitable jurisdiction to have adequate substance in the BVI. Apart from that, the BVI doesn't really impose any capitalization requirements or thin capitalization rules, as you would be aware, or impose any general maintenance of capital requirements. Provided a company maintains cash flow and balance sheet and solvency, there are no limitations relating to its ability to distribute assets to its shareholders by way of dividend. So I think that those are some of the corporate flexibility aspects in terms of other commercial considerations, companies in the BVI widely used in the international capital markets as listing vehicles. Shares in BVI companies are listed in London on the LSE, in New York, NASDAQ, and the big board in Toronto, Hong Kong, and Singapore, amongst others. So I think what I'm trying to get at is, you know, they're, they're quite sort of business-friendly jurisdictions, BVI being, you know, a common example and one of the leading examples. In terms of sectors, I think in the last few years, we've seen the BBI has become an attractive jurisdiction for initial coin offerings, crypto funds, fintech transactions, and so on. They've launched a regulatory sandbox designed to encourage BBI companies and other undertakings to develop and utilize Innovate fintech within a light touch regulatory environment. So, I think the BVI does have its benefits. It does stand out. A lot of these characteristics can be sort of copy pasted to the Cayman, Bermuda, Anguilla, and the other jurisdictions of the Caribbean as well, and the UK overseas territories. And Arnie's practices the law of these four jurisdictions as well. So, we're happy to sort of go into further detail as well. But I think for now, this might be a comprehensive and quick sort of overview. As to how a BBI entity can be incorporated and the benefits that it offers.
2: So that's very interesting. I had a similar question for Cyprus as well. You know, are there any restrictions on foreign investment in Cyprus? And what are the important factors that let's assume an Indian investor wants to invest in Cyprus? What should you be aware of? Well,
1: I think the most important thing to sort of set out at the start is this formal screening mechanism. So, I mean, I think India has a formal FDI screening mechanism, but Cyprus actually does not have a formal mechanism in place. The laws in Cyprus generally encourage and facilitate FDI with limited restrictions on foreign control or ownership and limited sector specific restrictions as well. But largely we can say Cyprus is also a very, very pro-business jurisdiction without any sort of formal mechanisms in place. In terms of developments, there, there are no indications as of now that Cyprus is planning to introduce a formal FDI mechanism. And so I think that that's what the state is in that regard. In terms of the other benefits of Cyprus as a jurisdiction, I think it's worth mentioning that, well, Cyprus is an EU member state, as is widely known, and that has its own advantages. But unlike many other EU member states, Cyprus has one of the most competitive tax rates in the union, at 12.5%, if I'm not wrong. It also doesn't have an economic substance regime similar to the BVI or Cayman. The other benefit of incorporating Cyprus is Cyprus has double tax treaties including one with India. I think you have probably worked in this area before with Cyprus, India, BITs and so on, and all the double taxation treaties as well. So I think you're the expert on that, but it's worth mentioning. In terms of industry trends, the last queries that we received in relation to digital assets and from IP-heavy firms, the intellectual property box regime in Cyprus is, is quite interesting. I, th- I think it's quite well known that the intellectual property is one of the most valuable assets of an organization. So in Cyprus, companies holding intellectual property can benefit from this IP box regime. It's fully compliant with the provisions of the OECD BEPS Action 5 report. And there is a whole set of characteristics, such as qualifying assets, qualifying expenditure, and so on, which allows entities to sort of claim back in terms of the taxation, map, in terms of taxation. So I think Cyprus is also one of those jurisdictions which is very, very sort of pro-business and given their IP box regime, double tax treaties, presence in the EU and the fact that it's in the union goes sort of goes a long way as an attractive jurisdiction for Indian nationals or Indian businesses and so on. I think one of the, as you said, you know, for let's say if you were to pick an example for an Indian national or Indian company, if I were to sort of put that in reverse, and think about, well, what jurisdiction, say, either from the BBI or Cayman or Cyprus, would be a suitable holding company jurisdiction for structuring investments into India. I think what I'm trying to get at is, do you think there are certain requirements for claiming treaty benefits or any tax considerations that Indians would, or Indian companies would think about when setting up structures in the BBI or Cayman? So if you could throw some light on that.
2: Sure. On that point, I think, pursuant to the OECD BEPS initiative and the continuous efforts that are being made by the Indian government, then looking at the multilateral instruments that have been signed by various countries, my first thought is that setting up an intermediary jurisdiction or a holding company jurisdiction requires in-depth analysis. And the reason is that, you know, about five of them. One is how do you comply with commercial substance requirement? How will you prove beneficial ownership? How do you satisfy the principal purpose test? Or how do you satisfy the newly brought in concept in India about significant economic presence? And lastly, the limitation of the benefits clause that we have in most tax treaties. So currently, as I see it, BVI and Cayman do not have a double tax avoidance agreement with India, but there is a tax information exchange. And what I see in the litigation part is the Indian tax authorities are very much against double non-taxation. So the question is that Depending on the volume of investments, depending on or which all parts of the world you are going to invest in, identifying a holding company jurisdiction, you know, it may make sense if you do not have tax benefit as the only criteria. But as you mentioned about BVI and Cyprus, ease of doing business, the regulatory regime, the political scenario, and, uh, you know, everything else that goes in to enable a person do business comfortably in a particular jurisdiction, unless you have those kind of sufficient explanation, India is not going to accept a holding company jurisdiction. For example, if you look at a few years ago, prior to April, 2016, Mauritius, Singapore, Cyprus, you know, they were the key jurisdictions from where India used to get investments, but all that changed in 2016. So as I see it today, investments that have been made prior to April 1, 2017, I would still go with Mauritius and Singapore. And uh, for current investments, although it's not tested from a tax standpoint, I would still go for debt securities if you are investing through Cyprus or maybe even Mauritius. But going forward 2022 onwards, I would recommend Netherlands appears to be a good option from a tax standpoint. That's because there's still not much changes happening in Netherlands, but you have a whole lot of companies that are still operating in Netherlands, and it's only time before, you know, the Indian government wants to modify the India-Netherlands treaty as well, so only time will say. Now, as far as claiming treaty benefits is concerned, it's a, on paper, it looks very simple, but it says that you need to provide a tax residency certificate, you need to Take certain tax registration, you have to file a form 10-F if you want to get monies out of India without tax withholding, but then, you know, the tax residency certificate that you submit may not be appreciated by the Indian tax authority, they may want it in a specific format, but having said that, the law says that that's a fundamental requirement. Now, coming about, the key things about setting up structures would be the same five points about commercial substance, beneficial ownership, PPT test, etc., that one needs to be looked at. What type of companies are attracting investment in Cyprus?
1: I think Cyprus is, as I said earlier, Cyprus benefits from its location, given where it is, given the fact that it's, in, uh, it's, it's a part of the union and so on. I think one of the most important things about Cyprus Cypriot law, well, actually, I wasn't aware of for the longest time, was the law in Cyprus is actually modeled off Indian law in many, key, in many key aspects. I mean, companies law, contract law, and so on. And this is largely due to the, the shared past of both India and Cyprus. And, and they both have, um, as a, have a common legal system. For instance, one of the key pieces of Cypriot legislation that is still in force is the Contracts Act. And you'd be surprised, but a lot of lawyers from Cyprus still consider the textbook by Pollock and Muller on contract law to be as the leading authority for interpretation of Cyprus contracts law. So I think there is that element which is in common between Cyprus and India. So I think we could perhaps sort of see some movement there. Cyprus was... Originally quite popular as well in India, but I think less so in in more recent times. So traditionally, when you had investments from Russia, China, and so on, and Central and Eastern Europe, now I think it's reached that phase where I think investments from India are starting to sort of increase again. And Cyprus is looking to expand and to be more attractive to the Indian market, particularly the funds listing market and so on. I think now the Cyprus regime has a concept of FBIs, so it now allows FBIs to be sort of recognized in India. So I think that's one thing which is moving both for Cyprus and for India and sort of taking this relationship forward. So I think that's the recent developments in Cyprus. I, I think on the back of that, uh, the, main, the question that I had for you was... In terms of m transactions that are happening in India now, what are the different type of structures that are currently being used for m transactions in India?
2: I think about uh, five different structures are you know, contemplated. The most efficient way that people find to, you know, acquire an Indian company is the first one would be a share acquisition structure, wherein the acquirer purchases the equity interest from the seller and becomes the equity owner of the target entity. But uh, the important here to consider would be, you know, the due diligence aspects from a legal, tax and financial perspective should be completed. We have also seen stock swap deals that have been used, particularly in transaction where the selling promoters intend to remain a part of the business or if the buyer is not cash rich. And typically they enter into a share purchase or a transfer agreement, setting out the details of the shares to be transferred. So that was the share acquisition bit. The second structure is asset purchase, which is commonly used as asset purchase agreement globally. But in India, you have two different modes. One is a slump sale where the acquisition of the entire business of the target business and the other is an itemized sale where the buyer chooses to pick up the assets and liability that he wants to take up and the rest remains with the seller. There are tax implications on this and appropriate, you know, advice needs to be taken on how you should structure a slump sale, etc., the third structure is you could either do a merger or an amalgamation where two or more companies consolidate to form a single entity. The only issue with this is that it's a court-driven process and probably takes about nine to 10 months to accomplish the intended objectives. So while the merger structure remains an option, it's, it's seldom used given the hurry in which uh, the transaction parties are and then you have the demerger structure where you carve out an identified business to the transferee entity and the transfer entity continues to remain post the demerger so it's one of the effective tools you know whereby running a business it's hyped into a separate entity you have segregate core and non core business You have management focus on the core business. You can attract investors. But again, the problem is a D-merger requires a court approval. And again, it takes a lot of time. The last structure which is gaining popularity in India is the acqui-hire transaction, especially in the IT-enabled services sector, where uh, technically skilled employees, which are the more important assets of the technology space, uh, the acquirer primarily acquires the employees of the other company and there is no transfer of the business undertaking of the seller or any other assets of the seller. But then there are a lot of employment law issues, gratuity payment issues, provident fund issues, and of course, the tax issues that needs to be considered. So these were the few modes of structure that is commonly used, Carl. Right. That's quite helpful. Yeah. And just one point, you know, going back about that Cyprus, you mentioned that Cyprus, of course, there were a lot of investors investing from Cyprus into India, and they continue to do so. I think the only problem was sometime in 2013 and 2014, which is that there were some issues which have now been resolved. And I think I am looking at various people coming in from uh, Cyprus as well. So from a EU perspective, have you been seeing India using Cyprus as a holding company jurisdiction?
1: Yes, I mean, we have seen that. And I think the main reason for that is mainly because Cyprus... Is an EU member state. So the advantages that it offers, as I touched upon earlier, is the full access to EU financial and capital markets or passporting rights as they're called. Cypriot companies being EU persons have full access to the EU freedom of services and freedom of establishment regimes. And this helps particularly in terms of financial services, the capital markets, and other regulated sectors, as Cypriot companies are able to passport their services across the EU, whereas companies outside the EU typically need to comply with requirements of each EU member state separately. So I think that's one of the key drivers for this. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such an increase in companies using Cyprus, in third countries using Cyprus as a holding company jurisdiction. In relation to India as well, I think it was, I, I touched upon this earlier as well, Cyprus funds are now eligible as foreign portfolio investors in India as well. So I think it's now sort of a two-way relationship and I think this change happened last year I think in June 21 when India's Ministry of Finance notified its Cypriot counterparts that Cyprus would now be included as an eligible category one country for the purposes of India's Securities and Exchange Board of India FPI regulations 2019 and in in broad terms as a result of the recognition of um, Cyprus funds as eligible FPIs under SEBI. This may now benefit from a number of streamlined processes and incentives for investment into India as well. So I think there is that two-way relationship that might happen now because, you know, even for EU investors going into India and so on, Cyprus could be one of those jurisdictions that's sort of emerging as the popular one. And Cyprus is, of course, a member of the EU and has consequently implemented directives and regulations in relation to EIFs, consistent with the EU Alternative Investment Fund managers, a directive, IFMD, as well as the EU's flagship retail funds product in the form of the undertakings for collective investment in transferable securities or usage. Despite this, the costs in setting up and managing funds in Cyprus, as well as other investment structures, are uniquely competitive within the EU market. Cyprus is not actually a direct member of FATF. And membership of FATF, as you would know, is generally reserved for larger countries that are strategically significant globally. But uh, nevertheless, you know, we, we would say that Cyprus's funds industry nevertheless punches well above its weight. So I think there is traffic both ways. Cyprus is emerging as one of the key jurisdictions in that part of the world you know, given the traffic that it's had from Russia and India and all these jurisdictions. So I think Cyprus is becoming more and more attractive as a holding company and jurisdiction.
2: Would you have the same kind of response for BVI and Cayman Islands too?
1: Yes, I mean, I would say the same but would apply to the BVI and Cayman. I think obviously there are certain differences, you know, passporting rights and so on are, are, don't exist. But there are other benefits in terms of taxation, in terms of Cayman's popular choice as a hedge fund jurisdiction and so on, and BVI for more in terms of corporate vehicles and so on. But I think for their own reasons, both the BVI and Cayman continue to be extremely popular offshore centres for these reasons. And, you know, there's a rising demand for these jurisdictions and for products from these jurisdictions. So I I would say the same for those jurisdictions as well.
2: That's very helpful, Karthik. This was a very useful discussion with you, Karthik. A lot of investors, you know, from India or certain other places looking for advice on BVI, Cayman or Cyprus. So I think this has been very useful and I'll reach out to you if I need any further assistance.
1: Absolutely, Ravi. Thank you so much for taking the time out today to be with us and sort of exchange your thoughts on what's going on in India, your the recent developments and the industry trends. Looking forward to
2: speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Ravi. Thank you, Karthik.